want you to open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be studying together um, from this passage, at least in the beginning. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin our reading there in verse number 1. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And then eventually we'll come down to verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. He goes up into his mountain, he sits down, uh, as was the custom, to get ready to speak, to teach. This is his pulpit of the day. And he opens his mouth, and he teaches them, and he says... All of these attitudes that should be, or the be attitudes we sometimes call them. And as we get ready to read these very familiar words, I want to ask you this question. What is the epitome of a Christian? What, what, does, what does a great Christian really look like? Think about that for a moment. What does a great Christian really look like? To you, is the great Christian that excellent Bible class teacher? Is that the great Christian? To you, is the great Christian the one who um, never misses a service? For you, is the great Christian the individual that sings out so loud and you can hear their voice over the crowd? Is the great Christian to you the one that really fills up the collection plate? For you, is the Christian, the great Christian, the one who's who's incredibly service-oriented, and they're always doing for someone else. What does the greatest Christian look like to you? And I suspect if we were to survey the audience, we would have a, a different, different response. We would all think something differently. Now, some of the things I've just mentioned may, may be a part of it, but there are probably other things that would come to your mind. The greatest Christian. One might even say the perfect Christian. What does the perfect Christian look like? Just think about that. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. As we just kind of pause and, and, and look very briefly at what we've just read, we're talking about an individual who's humble, someone who is contrite in heart, Broken in heart, mourn, blessed are they that mourn. Those who are gentle, meek, verse 5. Those who are studious, thirst after righteousness, doing right. It's the idea of doing right when people are watching and when they're not watching. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, the helpful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are they that are pure in heart, for they shall see God the holy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God the peacemakers, the peaceable. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What does the perfect Christian look like? Well, number one, there's no such thing as the perfect Christian. There's only the faithful Christian. I suppose you could say that there is the perfect Christian because God has made that individual perfect by the blood of Jesus. But there's not a single Christian that does Christianity perfectly, right? We all make mistakes. 
In 1 John chapter 1, when it says we walk in the light, it's talking about being faithful, not being an individual who does life perfectly as a Christian. But if we were to say what the perfect Christian looks like, we would have to say that Matthew chapter 5 is a pretty good word picture of the perfect Christian. It's an individual that has from the heart beginning the right kind of attitude. Well, what are those attitudes? Well, we've just enumerated them. But if you look in the the bottom part of this passage, verses 11 and 12, you're going to observe that the perfect Christian is also someone who experiences criticism. Never been criticized? If you haven't, you will be. It's going to happen. Because if we're Jesus kind of people, then we're going to experience Jesus kinds of things. And the things that Jesus experienced included being criticized. The Bible says in Luke 6 and verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. If, if everybody is saying something nice about you all of the time, then you need to look inside and say, what am I doing wrong? Because people shouldn't always be complimenting you all of the time because you're not always going to get things right. And that's part of the Christian growing process, isn't it? The Bible says in Acts 5 and verse 41, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Reminds me of how we are told in Scripture that we will suffer persecution for taking a stand and for doing what is right. Remember last week we looked at 2 Timothy, I think, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth gets himself wrapped up or tied up. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We're going to be criticized at times if we're taking a stand and living for the Lord. In Acts 7 and verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to be criticized. But let's deal with criticism in a Jesus way. Let's be like Jesus when we're criticized. Well, what does it look like? If, if, if we're going to be the so-called perfect Christian or as close to perfection as we can be, and we're going to have those kinds of attitudes that should be, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be criticized, verses 11 and 12. How do we handle that? What does that look like in a very practical way? In Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Now, if you were Jesus, put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment, and you knew what you did, what you left, what you had, and, and now what you have been experiencing all of these years and your ministry on earth is getting ready to come to an end and you're getting ready to die for the sins of the world and you knew all of this and in the face of this knowledge you're now being criticized and being called all these horrific things what would you do i think i would be tempted to say excuse me 
Do you know who you're talking to? Do you have any earthly idea who I am? Do you know what I'm getting ready to do for you? I'd probably even call him a scallywag, but Jesus didn't do that. So how would I handle criticism in a Jesus way? John 1.46 says, and Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus came out of Nazareth. Matthew 13, 55 and 57, is this not the carpenter's son? They were offended by him. If anybody can talk to us about criticism, it's Jesus. So how do we handle it like him? Two observations, just two. I know that's not a very preachery thing to do. We have to have at least three observations and then a poem and then we're done, but we're not doing that today, so just two. The first one is, criticism teaches us a few things, okay? What does criticism teach us? Well, if you look at the screen, there are a number of things, okay? First of all, Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Number one, criticism teaches us this idea that at times we need it. We need to be criticized. Does anybody like to be criticized? You may say to yourself, well, I don't want to be criticized. Well, I'm like you. I don't really enjoy criticism. But if you think about it, there are times when we do need a little bit of criticism. In Galatians 6, we've got the idea of an individual who's a, who's a child of God, and they're, they're on the road of righteousness, and as they're on the road of righteousness, Satan comes up behind them, sneaks up behind them, and ensnares them. It's as if Satan grabs a hold of them by the arms and pulls them away from the Christ and starts to lead them in a direction that they should not go. Well, somebody has to come along in a loving and Christ-like way and say, well, hold on just a second. Brother, sister, I love you. You know I love you. Can I, can I tell you that I'm just concerned about you? Would you... Would you let me share something with you? I've been, noticing, I've been noticing something about your behavior, or I've been noticing something in your speech. Your, I've been noticing something about your, your, your patterns. I've been noticing uh, some, of the, some of the relationships that you're starting to have, and I'm just concerned. And you know I love you, and we have a relationship. Could I talk to you about your soul? What is that? It's criticism. And so there are times in which criticism is, is, is warranted, and we need, to, we need to extend criticism, and we need to accept criticism, don't we? Well, here are a few thoughts. Number one, don't dismiss criticism at first. Don't dismiss it. The really wise individual is the individual who will listen to the criticism and then will reflect on it and will ask themselves, well, is there any truth to this criticism? Who is it that's criticizing? Why are they criticizing me? Is there any truth to this? Is it, is it possible that they know something, that they see something that I'm not seeing about and within myself, and, and I know that they have my best interest in mind, and maybe I'll just listen to them and see if there's any truth to it. Second of all, determine the source. Look at Proverbs with me. Proverbs chapter 27. We'll look at a couple of passages here. Proverbs chapter 27. 
Listen to what the wise man said. The, the full soul, the full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. No, that's not it. Back up. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful, there it is, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When's the last time a friend came up and punched you right in the nose? That doesn't normally happen, does it? A friend doesn't normally punch you in the nose. But here it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yesterday, not yesterday, Friday. Friday after the, the kids got on the, the van and they were on their way to CYC, I took uh, Rebecca to a movie. And after the movie, we were on our way uh, to the house and Rebecca just warmed my heart and she said, uh, I like doing things with you. Well, that just makes me feel good. No oohs or ahs or aww, none of that. Thank you. Made me feel really good when she, when she said that to me. There she is. She's blushing back there. She's, she's like my favorite uh, sermon illustration person. Well, last year, I remember this. She may not. Uh, it's a little traumatic. But last year, um, we were down in the basement we were playing basketball. Now, before you think our basement was huge and we actually had an indoor basketball goal, it wasn't like that. We had, we had one of those $7 Nerf basketball goals, you know, the kind you hang on the back of a door. And you talk about hours of fun and, and uh, calories burned in the basement just playing Nerf basketball. It was awesome. And um, on one occasion, we were having... Uh, a little one-on-one, and it was, it was fierce. Uh, and we were really getting into it, and I was probably running over her a little bit, and she was probably trying to do the same, and, and I backhanded her right in the mouth. You remember? Yeah, she's nodding her head. She remembers that. I backhanded her right in the mouth, and I had my ring on, and uh, Emily happened to be in the stands. She was downstairs watching. And when I backhanded her in the mouth, I didn't realize that I had, you know, had brought the blood. And blood is just coming out of her mouth. And, and uh, I said, uh, Rebecca, just do this. Just do that. And we're just, just, you know, just lick the blood off your lip and just go on. You'll be fine. And she said, no, I don't want to do that. I said, okay, we'll just shake it off. We'll, so let's keep playing. And so she shakes it off, and we, we keep playing basketball. But, you know, she likes doing stuff with me because I'm her friend. But I'm her, I'm her daddy friend. And her daddy friend happened to wound her on that occasion. <laughs> but this is not what we're talking about in this passage. What we're talking about here is faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A friend is someone who's actually going to go to you or to me and say, hey, look, I care about you. I'm concerned about you. And, and, I, and I see that you're, you're, maybe you're hurt because of, of what you've done or you're hurt because of what somebody else has done. And, and I want to be there to encourage you, to guide you through a process. Okay? If you look in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. When someone criticizes us, 
let's be careful not to retaliate against them. You know, when, when, when you're criticized, the, the first, maybe it's at, at home or maybe it's on the job, maybe it's even in church. Somebody criticizes, maybe the, the response that you have is, is, uh, is a defensive response. Remember when we talked about marriage and some of the predictors of divorce a few weeks ago? And we said that one of the predictors of divorce is defensiveness. And so when you're criticized, what do you do? Oh, you know what? Just keep, would you keep that coming? Would you just keep criticizing me? Oh, that feels so good. That makes, it gives me warm, and warm fuzzies. You know, just keep criticizing me. That's all we do. Well, but we, we put our hands up, figuratively perhaps, and we say, quit, don't criticize me. Or we say, okay, you're going to criticize me. You know what? I got something to criticize you about. So we're retaliatory in criticism. In Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. In other words, there's a time to answer and a time not to answer. The next verse says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. So, this past week, I posted something on Facebook, and uh, apparently it you know, generated a little interest and a little bit of, of uh, conflict, if you will, and I was just watching post after post after post, and some of them were, were fine, and some of them were not so fine to me, and, and uh, I was watching these things, there's like 50 posts, and I, I didn't know it was that popular, and, and so there were like 50 responses, and I decided... Answer not a fool according to his folly. And I'm not saying that all of these responses were foolish, mind you. I'm just saying that there's a time to respond and time not to respond. And I, and I wake up the next morning and I thought, I've had enough of this. And, and, and my, my Facebook feedback has been hijacked. And so I just removed it. Just, just removed it. No sense in it. Um, but sometimes when people are criticizing us, we need, to, we need to listen to it. We need to accept it, perhaps. Sometimes when we're criticized, we need, to, we need to think about the source. Who's criticizing me? Maybe it's, it's a friend that's criticizing me. If it's somebody that really cares about me, I'm going to listen. Maybe it's somebody that, that, that's always critical toward me, and so I think about that. Well, you know what? They criticized me yesterday and the day before that. They'll probably criticize me tomorrow, and so they're criticizing me today. So answer not a fool according to his folly. Maybe I'll just let it go. But I'm not going to be retaliatory. Here's another thought. Just do the right thing. Look at Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says in verse number 10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Remember that when you're criticized, the point of, of, of your existence as a Christian, as a soldier, as we talked about last week, is to do the right thing, even when it's hard. It's always wrong to do wrong, and it's always right to do right. And sometimes people can criticize us, and it can help us. But sometimes when people criticize us, we have a, we have a desire or a thought we might retaliate. Well, don't do that. Don't retaliate. Do right. And then draw some boundaries. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, or Matthew chapter, yeah, Matthew chapter 11. Um, 
Look at verses 18 and 19. This is interesting. Jesus said, For I, John, came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. And you know what? In this context, the Bible tells us something really, really interesting. But it's unspoken. So it's just like what Jeremy was talking about in class this morning, sometimes when we're reading through a text, as we're reading through that text, we think to ourselves, why is this here? Isn't this interesting? Jesus writes on the ground, but what did he write? What was the point? What was the point of even including that in the text? There's something that's important in this particular passage that we don't want to overlook. I want to read it again. See if you pick up on it. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. What's missing? His response. Perhaps, on this occasion, Jesus was teaching us something about boundaries. That there is the occasion where people will criticize us, maybe harshly, incredibly rude, and maybe even without foundation. And so what might our response be? Answer not a word. Just don't say anything. Just don't respond. Sometimes it's all right to speak up. Sometimes we're better off just to draw a boundary. And not say a word. Don't do anything. People that know us know the truth anyway, don't they? And then discover a lesson that you might learn. Proverbs fifteen thirty one. I'm not going to develop that, but you might write that down. So first of all, when we think about criticism, criticism teaches us a few things. But, but finally, criticism reaches. It reaches down into our hearts and it challenges us and it perhaps changes us in very positive ways. Elbert Hubbard wrote, The final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure criticism without resentment. That's a tough, tough one, isn't it? When someone criticizes us, we have a, a temptation to get our dander up, to be angry, irritated, retaliatory and then at the at the end of the thing we'll hold a grudge or we'll be resentful and so what Albert Hubbard is suggesting is that the great person the wise person is the one who endures it without being resentful well three things three things very, very briefly one is it reaches deep down into our core and it challenges us to be a people who are humble. You're not perfect. I'm so, I'm, I know I'm breaking some news to you this morning perhaps, but, but you're not perfect. You're not always going to get life perfect. 
You're just not. You're going to make mistakes along the way. Maybe even several. And so appreciate the fact that when someone criticizes you, accept it with a little bit of humility. Be humble. Listen to what James says. If I go over to James chapter 4. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You want to know the individual that is getting a whole lot of grace from God? It's the individual who is enduring criticism and is accepting that criticism with humility. Because God says, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to resist the proud. I'm going to resist those that are retaliatory. But I'm going to give grace to the person who's humble. Second of all, be an encourager. Be an encourager. Go back to the Old Testament again, Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, listen to verse number 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. I want you to focus in on that expression, a word fitly spoken. There are two types of people in this world. There are plus people and there are minus people. There are positive people, there are negative people. Sometimes there are those folks out there that say, you know what, they really need a piece of my mind. And really what they need to do is keep that to to themselves. They don't need to lose any of that, any of what they got. Uh, But um, you be a plus person. You be the kind of individual who adds to the life of another. You be the kind of individual, as we think about criticizing, because there are occasions when we may have to criticize others in a Jesus way, and you be the kind of person that criticizes in a way to encourage and strengthen and build them up and make them better than they were the day before. Be a plus people who add to the lives of others. Don't be a minus person. And then finally, be a courteous critic. Be a courteous critic. If you go over a few pages in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 23, For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. When we think about the idea of criticizing someone, be courteous. When you have to criticize, and and, and as Christians who care about our brothers and sisters, especially in Christ, and we feel the need to criticize, criticize that other person the way that you would want to receive criticism. Seems like I read that in a book somewhere. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. You've read that too, haven't you? Um, Criticism. We've all been there. And if we haven't yet, we will be there, won't we? And so when we experience that criticism, let's, let's try to take it in a Jesus way. On occasion, we have to extend criticism. Like in that Galatians 6 scenario, when we see a brother or sister wrapped up in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the hands of the great duper, Satan who dupes us off the straight and narrow. And and we see a brother or sister like that, we want to reach out to them and we want to criticize them in the right kind of way, in a Jesus way. So sometimes we, we receive it, sometimes we give it. 
Let's do it the right way. May I offer you some criticism this morning? I, I want to I criticize. I want to criticize those who are outside of Christ. If you're outside of Christ this morning, I'm, 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 I'm challenging you, okay? I'm challenging you. One might say I'm criticizing you, but I'm challenging you. I'm challenging your, your, in your heart. Okay? I'm not a, sto, uh, a toe stomper. I'm just, I'm, I like to get into hearts and challenge the thinking. Okay? So my challenge for you, my criticism of you, is that you are allowing yourself to miss the greatest life that there is. There's not a life better than the Christian life. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Stop right there. Some say that Jesus came that we might have the abundant life. That's not what John 10 says. It says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But Jesus came that you might have life and the greatest life is the Christian life. And if you're not a Christian, I'm criticizing the fact that you're missing out on the greatest life. Would you change your mind and, and say, hey, look, I, I don't want to miss out anymore. I, I'm, I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, to, to confess that faith in Him as the Son of God, and, and I'm willing to repent, change my mind about sin, and I'm even ready to have all of those sins washed away in baptism. <laughs> Just like Kylie and Zoe did. Such a wonderful decision. And now they're experiencing the great life. The greatest life, the Christian life. Would you do that today? Maybe, maybe you are a Christian. And I'm going to criticize you as well. Only because I love you. But maybe you're a Christian that is, has wandered away, you've drifted away, and it's time to come home. And you know it. You know that you've been missing out. You've been missing out on, on experiencing the greatest life, the peaceful life that Jesus offers us. And you're ready to change that. Would you make that commitment, that decision? And would you do it right now? As together we stand and as we sing.